0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I do apologize for yesterday. Um, Kind of two things going on. Number one, um, the uh, wife had to do some shopping, so I had to watch the two middle kids. Probably could have... Left them to their devices, let them watch some whatever and go do the podcast. But I was so unbelievably tired, I decided to take the day off, which is not great because I've been trying to get these numbers pumped back up and I felt like we're slowly starting to make progress. And then I just, you know, it's hard to recover from a day off. The worst part about all of it though is when I finally decided I'm I'm super tired. I'm just gonna go to bed early and I'm gonna sleep like a baby. First of all, I didn't go to bed early because by the time you get these kids to brush your teeth and everything else, it was right at like a normal bedtime. On top of that, as soon as I lay down in my bed, not tired anymore. It's the craziest thing. I don't get it, man. I mean, I'm talking like, I mean, and I have it today too. Something, something, I'm broken. I don't know what the deal is lately. Uh, Too much coffee, not enough sleep. I don't know. But it's literally, I'm taking pain medicine because every fiber in my body is aching. I'm so tired. But um, when I need that tired, because it's like, man, I can't wait for bedtime. I'm going to lay down and I'm just going to black out. I don't. I'm not tired. And then she came home and had a very crazy story. By the way, I've seen this kind of stuff on YouTube and in places. I've never had it happen to me. The crazy story that my wife had to tell me when I had just decided to... uh, My body decided, all right, fine, I'll let him sleep. She came home and had a crazy story to tell me. Not to mention she wanted to bring in groceries and, you know, so I had to watch the baby. Apparently... Somebody decided to buy my wife's groceries, which is an incredibly nice thing to do. I've heard about people doing it. Crazy part of the story, though, is that this is the biggest grocery bill we have ever seen in our entire lives. I don't know exactly what happened. Part of it was because it had to do with presents. But it was so big that my wife was like, no, this is too crazy. And started telling the guy at the, at the register, like, look, get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this. Sorry, but I'm not paying for all this stuff. This is way too much money. And so the lady initially said that she would uh, just pay for all that stuff that we said we wanted to put back. The cash, the cashier messed up and put the whole bill on the lady's card and then would not allow my wife to reimburse her. In fact, tried to give her $40 in cash after the fact (laughs) and would not take that back. So my wife just gave that away to somebody else. But um, it's one of those things where you just feel extremely guilty. My wife was, she was conflicted because she was extremely grateful, but also like, this is, this is too much. And i Don't feel comfortable with this. But all I know is she was wearing a Packers hat. And so if by some chance she happens to be listening, thank you so much for that. And um, definitely look forward to someday doing something very similar to that. In fact, on a smaller scale, I probably can. There's a couple days until Christmas. And I got to go shopping tomorrow. Maybe I'll talk to my wife about it and we'll see if we can. I'll find somebody with a really small grocery cart and be like, let me get those groceries. Was that like 40 bucks? I could do that. Anyways, um, pretty crazy stuff, but today what I would like to do is to kind of catch up on the PFF Insights to take a look at, uh, at all that stuff. I did find a couple other things. Um, one of the things I wanted to do, I was going to save it for another day, but since we missed a day, we might as well do it today, is to look at where the Packers are more recently. I did throw this up on Twitter. That was not my intention necessarily, but I was like, let's let's just do it because it'd be interesting. Um Initially I wanted to do it because there's so many guys on the team that um you know they they're they're great like Aaron Rodgers they're great they're ranked and graded pretty highly but if you just look at the second half of the season it's even better right AJ Dillon Aaron Rodgers handful of other people and so I was like I'm going to go through and look at that and try to find the guys who are really growing I was kind of shocked at how bad things were though if you look at the second half of the year there's a lot of guys where it's like oh that's that is concerning <laughs> so um, it was, it was more bad news than I was expecting looking at second half rankings of our players via PFF. So we'll kind of take a look at that, provide a little bit of extra context, et cetera, et cetera. Also had a couple people that I, I just randomly happened to find it, um, even though I was tagged, I, I still, I didn't see the notification and then I stumbled on it, but had a couple people ask me for some specific PFF questions and comparisons. So we'll do that as well. But we might as well start with the bad news, and that is that uh, COVID is still a major issue. It is still spreading like wildfire. Um, And now the Green Bay Packers have just gotten their first big blow. And, um, well, I won't speculate as to whether or not there will be more, but let's just say it would not be all that surprising if there were. But Marquez Valdez-Scantling has been put on the COVID IR list. Now, with the new rules, it sounds like there's going to be every opportunity for him to be able to come back. I believe as long as he is asymptomatic, he just needs a negative test. So there's no like X amount of days. It's just a matter of whenever you're feeling better, which might be as early as tomorrow. I mean, he may not have any symptoms. Essentially, he's just testing every day, waiting for that negative test. And if he happens to get it, then he goes back to work. But, um, you know, the reality is the... COVID, and I don't know if it's the Omicron thing in America or or what exactly is going on, but um, I know that that in particular is out of this world transmissible. I believe it's 70 times more transmissible than Delta, which was twice as transmissible as the original virus, making this 140 times more transmissible than um, the original COVID virus. The good news is it's unbelievably low risk from what we can tell over the last month of you know, data from South Africa and the UK and whatnot. I mean, literally less dangerous than the flu. I know that's been like a hot button trope that people throw around that's not accurate, that makes people really mad. But I mean, literally, from what I understand, the data right now is that it's less problematic than the flu. The the problem is nobody cares. And if you test positive for COVID, you test positive for COVID, and we're going to treat it like it's any other variant of very dangerous COVID. And so we've got a bad combination of treating all COVID the same in terms of, I mean, if you got it, you got to lock it down. And then also having this unbelievably highly transmissible variant of of COVID that um, is pretty much unstoppable. I mean, there's there's nothing you can really do aside from just staying away from everybody, which is just a thing that's never going to happen. I mean, we can pretend we're isolating these players while we you know, allow them to go places and then go into stadiums filled with tens of thousands of people. And I mean, have you seen the sidelines of an NFL team? <laughs> there's a lot of people standing there. And there's also a lot of people waiting in the tunnel. And you see how many high fives Aaron Rodgers got but when he went back into the the tunnel and everything else? Where do you think that guy was? And, um, you know, masks are are useless with Omicron, more or less. So it's, it's concerning to me that... Um, Things are not only bad; they're going to get a lot worse, and it's going to be transmitted at a much higher rate, and it's going to cause severe problems. Maybe it's not going to get any worse than it is, but if you—I mean, if you just look at the numbers over at the in the UK right now, it's just dwarfing anything in the past. And we—I mean, we had that initial real big spike right around last year, around this time, around Thanksgiving time, at least for our region. Then there was the secondary spike, you know, January, February was shortly after, hey, we got the vaccine, we're all getting out of this, everything's great. And then boom, here comes another spike, right? Delta. This is just, this is dwarfing anything that we've seen. And so what I'm getting at is I don't even think it's really here yet. <laughs> I mean, I know it's here physically, but like the the widespread spread of this, um, it's just, it's going to get a lot worse and it's going to happen relatively soon. It does look like certain places like New York are um, possibly in the throes of it right now. As of right now, they're peaking slightly above their highest ever. So they're kind of getting ravaged right now. And the point is, that's just, that's going to hit everywhere. Again, this is not necessarily concerning in terms of how we all need to be scared because this is going to kill everybody. That's not the point. I'm strictly talking about football and how this is going to impact football because this is a very mild variant, but it doesn't matter. Lots and lots and lots of people are going to be getting positive tests in the very near future. What does that mean for football? What does that mean for the playoffs? Which are, I mean, if you told me to take a wild guess as to when the worst part of this is going to be for the general United States, um, roughly playoff time, maybe closer to Super Bowl time, I don't know. But again, it's already hitting. So I that that is my... That is my concern, is, is what are they going to do? Um, are they going to continue to back off? I mean, they're already to the point where they're starting to lighten up their policies and kind of don't ask, don't tell right now policy with COVID. Like, unless you have any symptoms, just shut your mouth and don't worry, we won't test you. <laughs> Which, I mean, whatever. I don't know. These are just my musings as I was sitting around thinking about it and, and hearing um, the latest on this Omicron thing. It just sounds like it's going to be... Uh, well, I mean, you're, you're, again, we're already seeing it, the the amount of... Po- I've never seen even in my own personal life. I mean, it was very rare for me pre- previously to, to see people that actually tested positive. It's It's been constant. I mean, everybody at work, two, three people a day. Well, I had a close contact. I got to go test. And so-and-so, my dad and my grandma and my sister and this and this. And this and it's crazy. Everybody's fine, but that's not the point. It's just, what do you do? Even in the workplace, it's like, what am I supposed to do? We've... <laughs> Even got guys calling and and we're joking around about it. it's like I th- I think they just got a magic eight ball where they just tell you what to do based on what the magic eight ball says, you know they they they're, they're not the level of concern is down. Well, come in in a couple of days to test. Like, are you serious? Like a couple of days? I might be spreading this to everybody, but again, it's what do you do because it's just it's every second of every day. What do you do about every second of every day and especially in giant workplaces like. You know, hospitals and or the NFL, which is hundreds of people, thousands of people, and again, stadiums. When you actually we're inviting 70,000 people to come flooding in, well, they have to wear a mask. First of all, they aren't. Second of all, it's not going to do anything. This variant is just a freaking beast. I mean, it's a weak beast, but it's a beast. If he was a superhero, he'd be like Mister. He'd be like uh, the Flash or whatever. I don't even know what the Flash could do other than be fast. Like, dude, the Flash is after you. Like, oh, he's probably going to catch me. But yeah. What's he going to do, though? I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. What would the Flash do? I mean, he could probably beat me up. And if nothing else, if you got a running head start into like a, you know, a, a running kick or something, he'd kick a hole right through me because he's the, the Flash. But outside of being fast, what does that dude do? I got to look it up now. All right. So he has accelerated healing. Makes sense. Decelerated aging. That's, I guess that makes sense. Flight. Increased perception, uh, infinite mass punch. Yeah, that sounds like it hurts. All right. Well, still, I'm still sticking with that. He's real fast. Otherwise, he's just, he's kind of lame. But anyways, this, this is our reality now, and uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if there's going to be a Saturday game or whatever. Um, right now, it's just the one guy. Uh, Wisconsin is pretty bad off right now as well, as far as case count. I think as a percentage of the population, Wisconsin might be number one in cases right now. Which, by the way, is not a negative reflection on Wisconsin. This is everybody's favorite thing to do. Find the state that has the most transmission and then mock them for being stupid. Literally every state in the country has been the highest at some point. Is anybody going to mock New York? Of course they're not. Why? It's waves, man. Comes and waves, comes and goes. If it's not declining, it's increasing. And that's what's going to happen forever on the other hand, I kind of felt the same way last year. I kind of had the same thought that this is going to ruin the season, and it just didn't. So I guess I guess we'll just ride it out and see how it goes. By the way, I don't know the status of Kenny Clark. Um, right now, the Packers only have two guys on there, MVS and Kenny Clark. The Cleveland Browns obviously are decimated uh, by this. Most of these guys, I would assume, are going to be back because it happened a while ago. Um, starting from the oldest case to the newest case. In other words, most likely to be back um, to least likely to come back. You got punter Jamie Gillian, tackle Jedrick Wills. This was December 14th. So this was a full week ago. Wide receiver Jarvis Landry, tight end Austin Hooper, um, Fetty Odenigbo, Malik McDowell, uh, John Johnson, Troy Hill, Baker Mayfield, Ronnie Harrison, Grant Delpit, A.J. Green, Tony Fields, Mac Wilson, Jacob Phillips, Kareem Hunt, Case Keenum, James Hudson and Jadavian Clowney. Um, Jadavian was December 19th, so that was two days ago. So the most recent was two days ago. About half of these guys um, were from the 17th until now, so within the last four days or so. So we'll have to see. Again, I'm assuming a lot of these guys are going to be slowly coming back, especially Jamie Gillian, the punter. That was December 9th. I don't know exactly what his deal is. That would have been... Well, I guess it's still under two weeks. I don't know. I don't know. Other teams that are pretty decimated. Chicago has a bunch. Um, Bilal Nichols was... I mean, so they, they already had a bunch going into the last uh game, but Bilal Nichols was just added today, so they've got another one. Uh Houston Texans have a bunch. Four of them added in the last two days. Today is the 21st for me, by the way. So the 20th and 21st, Malik Collins, Derek Rivers, Jacob Martin, and Jaleel Johnson all added within the last two days. Kansas City Chiefs... Um, Real, real big. Uh, over the last two days, so three for you, but you might have even so. They they had three guys on the COVID list since December twentieth: Charverius Ward, Harrison Butker, Travis Kelsey, Armani Watts, Blake Bell, Lucas Yang, Kyle Long, Rashad Fenton, Nick Bolton, Tyreek Hill, all added. And again, this is this is why it it makes me concerned because the NFL doesn't want this. The NFL does not want week after week. Entire teams being decimated, especially when we're talking about guys like Baker Mayfield, you're talking about guys like Tyreek Hill. And if 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 Pat Mahomes end up ends up getting this and can't play, this is I mean, this is devastating for the NFL. Because these these are your marquee players and these are massive guys who are in teams fighting for the number one seed, and these are playoff teams, these have massive implications. I don't know the solution. I'm I'm not even proposing I don't know. I'm just saying this is this is a potentially disastrous problem. Um, Chargers don't have the biggest list I've ever seen, but it's all recent. Just in the last two days, Chris Rumph, Andre Robertson, Trey Marshall, Corey Lindsley, uh, Kimon Hall, Tavon Campbell, Joey Bosa, Chase Daniel, Joe Graziano. I mean, this, this is hundreds of people. I'm, I'm just picking out some, everybody's got a couple. The Rams don't have any the last few days, but they got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. They have 12 people on COVID. Miami's got one. The Vikings have two. And a lot of these guys are recent. I mean, uh, the Dolphins have one guy, but he was yesterday. Patriots only have three, but one. Kendrick Bourne was added yesterday. Saints only have one. It happened today, Jawan Johnson. Uh, the Giants have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They have 10 guys on the COVID list. Nine of those 10 have been in the last week. Three of the 10 have been the last two days. Uh, Keon Cross and Michael Carter, Elijah Vera Tucker. The Jets have six. Two of them were yesterday. Eagles have only two, but they were both yesterday. And these, again, these are massive. Landon Dickerson, Andre Dillard. That's important. Seahawks with Tyler Lockett. Again, he might come back. I don't know, but that's kind of a big deal. Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Brashad Perriman. That's a big deal, especially for that team having lost everybody already. They had a ton of injuries, and then you got another guy out with COVID. Washington, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11 guys. Brandon Scherf, one of the best players on their entire team, just went on yesterday. I mean, Kenny Clark and MVS, it's not a small thing for the Packers either. The Detroit Lions, Jared Goff, their freaking quarterback yesterday, along with tackle Matt Nelson, but the quarterback of the Lions, that's a big deal. You know, the Lions aren't a big deal, but that's a big deal. You know, the the Bears with Eddie Jackson, Allen Robinson, Andy Dalton, well, kind of Andy Dalton, I guess, Bilal Nichols, Jalen Johnson, these are These are key starters. This isn't like some fourth string special team linebacker. The Bills, Cole Beasley was added today. A.J. Epinesa yesterday Tackle Deion Dawkins. That's massive. John Feliciano, another offensive lineman. Baltimore Ravens, Pernell McPhee and Justin Houston added in the last two days. Those are both pass rushers, both massive pieces on top of Sammy Watkins and a handful of other important pieces. And again, think about how many were added just in the last two days, and it's just going to continue. I mean, we're just getting started, man. We got, uh, you know, we got Wednesday the 22nd, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's just how many days until the Packer game. So not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just saying this, this is uh, this is awfully concerning because this, this far exceeds anything. And this is kind of, I guess, what we all thought would happen last year. Right? There's just going to be this massive outbreak, and it's going to go crazy, and everyone's like, oh, I guess the NFL did a pretty good job of, of preventing it, and it was, it was great. But again, this is this is a whole different deal we're dealing with right now, and um, especially with the vaccine, that kind of clouds things, because now they're kind of like, well, you're vaccinated, you have some lax rules. Well, those lax rules are going to lead to spread, because the vaccine doesn't mean you don't spread it. I'm not saying there shouldn't be lax rules. I'm, I'm not proposing anything. I'm just saying this is the reality. So pretty bummed out about MVS. But looking at all these other teams, I mean, we're in fantastic shape so far. Very few teams have only two guys on the COVID list. So we'll see how it goes. Keep your fingers crossed. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and recap what we saw yesterday uh, via PFF. 16 different offensive players. Six of those 16 had 70 or higher grades. Uh, That leaves, obviously, everybody else that did not. There was actually a very high rate of very good good grades, though. Four, basically, of those six that had at least 70s were basically in the 80s or basically 90s. Aaron Rodgers, 79.2 overall grade. We'll call that an 80. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you hate to see it considering the whole COVID thing, but 85 overall grade. Tyler Davis, who kind of came out of nowhere, um, 89.7. We'll call that a 90 overall grade. Um, just looking at what he's done... For the season, he's played in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different games. He played more in this game than any other game. His highest grade previous to this was a 60.0, which is basically a grade that you get when you don't really do anything. So, of the grades he got when he actually did things, they've all been negative 59.8, 58.9, 56.2, 56.0, and 48. This game, 90. Why did he get a 90 well his receiving grade was an 85.9 his pass blocking grade was a 70 and his run blocking grade was a 75 basically everything he did in this game he dominated so I don't think I'm not going to take that and say he's this great player now that's a little bit of a leap especially assuming that he's just going to be a 90 overall but it's still nice to see he had a great day and then finally Mr. Mercedes Lewis once again with a dominant performance 89.9 overall grade he's at just I mean it's it's not hyperbole to say this is one of the best years of his entire career I think going back to about 2010. He's had a lot of I mean there's there's a lot of bad games in here. Um about half of his games have been below a 60, half of his games have been above. But I mean it's 55 54 52 51 50 and then a 35, one really bad game. It's it's the the difference is his good games have been 75 76 86 87 90 90 and 93. I mean it's just it's it's psychotic how good his really good games are. And if you look at his grades, he had 170 with Green Bay in 2019. Otherwise it's been 50s and 60s going all the way back to 2012. This is the highest grade he's had since 2010. He had a 90 overall grade, he's got an 80 right now, but um you know, I mean that 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 can continue to move up if he continues to have really good games because it moves the needle really quickly and kind of overtakes these really low-graded games. Um, Of the guys that did not grade out very well, I think this was the case last week as well. The, The good news is nobody was terrible, right? You had one, two, three, four, five guys that were below a 60, only five. Of those five, nobody was below a 40. So if we're calling 60 average and 50 below average, below average is as bad as it gets. Dennis Kelly had the lowest grade at 51. Juwan Winfrey, 53. Josiah DeGuara with a 54. Alan Lazard with a 57. And John Runyon with a 59. Um, I mean, it's not great, but it's not... Nobody was like a 20, which is a thing that happens regularly. If we kind of go on a case-by-case basis here... Looking at blocking first, because that's just next on the PFF list for some reason. I don't know why I don't do like quarterback, then receiving, whatever. But um, Only three guys had positive run-blocking grades. 70 overall grade to Mr. Mercedes Lewis, 74 to Tyler Davis, and an 83 to Alan Lazard. It is very frustrating that um, not one of our offensive linemen graded out super well. The next highest was Yash Nyman with a 64 overall grade. Looking just at the offensive linemen, the next highest would be uh, Royce Newman with a 62. Again, we're still in the average range, but then it really starts to drop. Some of our actually three of our four lowest run blocking grades were the rest of our offensive linemen. Lucas Patrick with a 55 overall grade, Dennis Kelly with a 52.6, John Runyon with a 47.2. Now John Runyon absolutely demolished life as a pass blocker. In fact, most of these guys did. And again, if I got to take a trade-off, that's my trade-off. You can't run block, but you're a great pass blocker. I will take that 99 times. Why would I even say that's a stupid thing to say. I'll take that 100 times out of 100. Aaron Rodgers continuing to play like he plays is just incredibly important, especially when we have the running backs we have who can make something out of nothing, which is not how I'd like it, but I will take it. Anyway, speaking of pass blocking grades, um, the only one that was absolutely horrific was A.J. Dillon with a 36.7 overall grade. He only stood into pass block two times and he gave up one hurry. So when 50% of your pass blocking reps are failures, that's probably not going to grade out very well. Um, The next lowest, only two in the 50s, but the next lowest was Josiah Deguara. Uh, Again, he was only into pass block twice. He didn't give up any pressures, but apparently he wasn't very impressive. Uh, Dennis Kelly then... Was the only guy that was actually pass blocking that didn't do a good job or grade out very well. Um, 59 overall grade. He gave up two pressures, which is surprisingly the most of anybody, which is really low. But he did give up one sack and one hurry. After that, you got Yash Nyman, 67 overall grade, which is not terrible at all. Out of 39 reps, only one hurry he gave up in the whole game. Tyler Davis had a basically a 70 overall grade. Mercedes Lewis with a 75 overall pass blocking grade. Didn't give up any pressures on his four uh, reps. Lucas Patrick with a 78.8. Why is there constant screaming upstairs? I just, I don't know if that's the baby screaming or if that's my other daughter. Little girl screams kind of sound similar. The, the one-year-old and the five-year-old. Anyways, Lucas Patrick, 78.8. Didn't give up a single pressure in this game. Kudos to Lucas Patrick again. Only a 55.5 run blocking, but if you're at an 80 pass blocking, you are my friend. Aaron Jones, only five reps, but an 82.4 overall grade. um, One of the more underrated aspects of his game. Then you got Royce Newman coming in at number two, 83.2 overall pass blocking grade. I want to pause there for a second. He did give up one sack, um, but apparently his other 38 reps were phenomenal. Royce Newman is a bit of an anomaly because he had two really bad games mixed in here. But since week eight, let's just say this, since week eight, so we're talking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, he's had a 28.4 pass blocking grade. That was against Kansas City. Kansas City does have a very good defensive tackle, but he gave up six pressures in that game. That sucks. Week 12 against LA, he had a 30 overall pass blocking grade. That's the Aaron Donald team. Four uh, pressures in that game. That's not great. But Outside of that, 82, 78, 81, 83, and 83. I mean, he's been in the very, very good category almost every week except two weeks. And unfortunately, in those two weeks, he was horrifically bad. So it's, you know, you got the whole flickering light thing, but it's, I mean, it's like flickering high beams, Uh, but it is really promising. I mean, his, his run blocking grade is also improving to some degree. I mean, his first four weeks, he was just abysmal. Then between, you know, weeks from five to nine, it was a little bit more on the average side. And since then, 72, 52, 58, 69, 62, which doesn't sound great, but we're averaging in like a 60 range, right? He's got two 70s, a 60, basically two 60s and a 50, we'll call it. So he's trending up in both categories. Um, And he's just been a dominant pass blocker. I mean, second best pass blocking grade on the team. Again, two really bad games, so it's hard to definitively call him that. If it wasn't for that, he would just be out of this world, but um, it's been great to have. Anyways, the number one pass blocking grade, John Runyon, 88 overall grade, no pressures given up in this game. So again, I do wish we had better run blocking, but considering the the hodgepodge and the amount of guys that have had to step up and fill in spots for the first time, I mean, these are not, Royce Newman is a rookie right? I mean, a lot of these guys are stepping, Yash, for crying out loud, is our third string tackle. And um, I mean, for them to not only step up and be adequate, but to step up and be dominant as pass blockers. And again, the, the whole thing coming into this, this game was they don't have much, but they have pass rushers. That was about it. There was nothing else that I could look at and say, this is an area where they're really good pass rushers. Um, Aaron Rodgers, we pretty much covered it with the stats, 74.2 completion percentage, his adjusted completion percentage, 74.2, which is pretty rare to see. But uh, when you have no drops, no throwaways, no hit as your throw, no batted passes, then it's just, it is what it is. But that's a, a, a very high number. I mean, 74.2 completion percentage on the day is is solid. 268, three touchdowns, 8.6 yards per attempt, three big time throws, no turnover worthy plays. I mentioned that um, on their initial review. That's what they said it would be, but it was confirmed here. Um, only six times. Out of, let's see, 36 dropbacks, only six times he was pressured in this game, which, again, is incredible. 2.76 was his time to throw. 132.2 passer rate. Um, Is this right? He had 23 completions and 20 first downs? That seems impossible. I wonder if that includes rushing first downs. I don't know, but that's either way, that's crazy. The other good thing to see, um, and it was, again, a very small sample size, but one of the areas that Aaron Rodgers particularly struggles with is the... um, when he's under pressure, um, the 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 really this is this is actually worth looking into for me, but I, I'm not going to do it right now. Aaron Rodgers has generally struggled a lot under pressure. Last year, it seemed like he handled pressure a little bit better. Recently, Rodgers has been handling pressure better. What does that mean? Well, the difference between being a good quarterback and an MVP quarterback maybe means either not being under pressure very much or handling pressure or both. He's not under pressure very much, and he's handling it when he is under pressure. He had a 71.1 overall grade while under pressure, 78.2 while not under pressure. Um, Again, only six of his dropbacks. He was two of three for 33 yards and a touchdown. So he was fine while under pressure in this game. Uh, Not a whole lot here as far as receiving. As far as receiving grades, they kind of pretty much follow the overall grade, so there's nothing super interesting to see there. Uh, Tyler Davis led in yards per reception with his 22-yard reception. Biggest slot receiver on the team is Alan Lazard. 56.3% of his snaps were in the slot. Otherwise, it was a pretty even distribution. 37% for Juwan Winfrey, 37% for Devontae Adams, 33% for MVS, 32% for Josiah DeGuara. So that's kind of the... The other guys that are playing a lot in the slot, but otherwise it's Alan Lazard, big man. Makes sense, right? You put your big guys, they like the big slot thing because it's a mismatch. Usually the slot guys are going to end up being your your smaller, shiftier kind of guys. So you put this big old Alan Lazard on them and the the expectation is you're just going to outmuscle muscle them. Uh, the, the biggest yard after the catch, you would assume it's Mercedes Lewis. Mercedes was second, 11.3 yards after the catch. Not super, le- not super surprisingly, A.J. Dillon actually led with 13 yards after the catch per reception. Why? Well, because he had one reception for 13 yards. That was all after the catch. So, Yards per route run leader was Mercedes Lewis. Four yards per route run, which is pretty incredible for him. Average depth of target. MVS led that, not surprisingly, 21.1 average depth of target. He also had the longest reception on the day with his 31-yard reception. Contested catches. The only guy that even had a 50-50 ball thrown at him was uh, MVS, and he had three. He came down with two of them. Again, just a great day all around for MVS. Everything he did was just dominant. He had a lot of receptions. He had a high reception percentage, you know, comparing receptions to targets. He had his contested catches. He had short receptions, long receptions. Missed tackles forced. There were six missed tackles forced on the day. Four of those six were Mercedes Lewis, so... (laughs) And he only had uh, three receptions, so you do the math. Looking at rushing grades, it wasn't quite as high, uh, specifically rushing grade, not overall grade. A.J. Dillon was number one with a 68 overall grade. Aaron Rodgers had a 67. Aaron Jones with a 65. And then Lazard with his one uh, one attempt, 56 grade is what they gave him. Yards after contact for attempt, A.J. Dillon two yards after contact. Aaron Jones, 2.3. Missed tackles forced. Aaron Jones with three missed tackles forced. Nobody else had one. Longest carry was Aaron Jones' 11-yard carry. And uh, I think that's about it for the offense. Um, Let's let's continue this, and then we'll go over the uh, weird stuff on the other end of the break so it's less clunky. Um, Defensively, 19 different people uh, set foot on the field as defenders. Roughly kind of rounding up-ish. Six of them were 70 or above if you're talking about actually rounding up. About nine were in, so roughly half, were kind of in that 70-ish range, high 60s. Um, Seven players were below a 60. Only one was below a 50, and that was Darnell Savage. Not surprisingly, he was getting pretty He had an assignment that he was not ready for. Let's just put it that way. 39.3 overall grade, 43.6 run defense grade, 28.7 tackling grade, 48.8 coverage grade. Other guys that were below a 60 going from worst to best, Kingsley Kiki, 52, Jonathan Garvin, 54-ish, Tipogalea 56, Chandon Sullivan, 57, Chris Barnes, 58, and uh, Kevin King, 58. As far as the guys that performed well... um, 70 and above ish, starting at number six with a 69.5. Dean Lowry, Razul Douglas, 69.6. Preston Smith, another great day, 71.6. This guy, the thing I love about Preston now is that he's becoming very consistent. It's not just flashy days. It's not just like he had one good day here. He has not had a bad day since week nine. So he was, he's, let's look at this for a second. He started off hot, right? Because I remember. I was was talking about how, you know, he's trying to get paid because his contract is all incentive-based. He started off the season with an 86.3. After that, 77.1, then 67.4. It's like, well, that was a dip, but he'll probably rebound. He did not. 51, 62, 48, 45, 55. That's a terrible, terrible stretch. In fact, he had, uh, let's see, two, five, six pressures in that game or in, in that span and two games with zero pressures. Since week 10, though... His grades have been 78, 88, 69, 90, and uh, 72. Again, he has not had a bad day. He's been basically, if you round up, 70 and above for one, two, three, four, five straight weeks, which is tough to do. I mean, even good players, it's hard to get a five game stretch without a bad day. Even guys like Devontae, Rodgers, I mean, you get like a 59 in there somewhere. And as far as pressures, like I said, he had uh, six over one, two, three, four, five games. So about one a game. Week 10, he had 10 pressures in one game. He had 10 pressures. Uh, After that, six pressures. So again, he tied that five-game stretch in one game. Five pressures against LA, 11 pressures against Chicago, five against Baltimore. That's 21, uh, 32, 37 pressures. 37 in one, two, three, four, five games. He had six over five weeks, and then the next five he had 37 or whatever I just said. He's had five sacks in that stretch. So he's had almost as many sacks as he had pressures in the previous five games. So I don't know what lit a fire under him, if he was maybe injured or sick or what was going on, but but whatever turned that switch off, it just turned right back on. So kudos to Preston Smith. Not his best day in the world, but the pressures were there, the grade was there, and, and not only consistent on a day-to-day basis and we'll go over the individual grades, but just across the board, 70 run defense, 74 tackling, 67 pass rush, 77 coverage. Every single individual grade is is great. Even coverage and stuff that I kind of don't really care about. Um, at number three, Abdullah Anderson, which is a name that uh, nobody is really familiar with because he hasn't been ever with the Packers in terms of playing. Um he played with Chicago in 2019. They actually picked him up as an undrafted free agent. He played 106 snaps for them. Um, Minnesota. He's just ripping through the NFC North. After that, he went to Minnesota. He only played 10 snaps there. And then he came to Green Bay and played 18 snaps. Here's here's the crazy thing. So he had a 74 overall grade, 15 pressures, or excuse me, 15 pass rush attempts, three pressures. So one in five, 20%. He had six pressures while he was with the Bears, um, 62 attempts, which is still like 10%. That's not that bad. But yeah, that's um, that's a good day. And I don't know what he did, what his role was, or, or how they used him. But um, I mean, I wouldn't be super mad if, if he kind of stuck around a little bit. So you see how that... Uh, you know, again, I don't think he's going to be a dominant factor, but he seems to be... Considering what we're working with, you know, guys that are at best inconsistent, maybe he's worth a second look. Anyways, at number two, Tyler Lancaster, you want to talk about inconsistent. I feel like from one week to the next, I'm either super praising him or super uh, dumping on him. However, similar to Preston, he's kind of coming around. So if we look, zoom in on Tyler. So he had an 81.1 overall grade. This was the best game he's had this entire year. However, if you look through weeks one, one through, let's call it even, now we'll call it nine to make it even more dramatic. And this, by the way, is part of the reason why I wanted to do that second half of the season thing, because this is another guy where you look at recently compared to previously, and it's like this is a night and day difference. Maybe that's what I should do for tomorrow is look at the difference between starting and finishing because it'll give a different picture. Anyways, from week one to week nine. Week three was his only good game at a 79. Here's every other game. 54, 46, 30, 54, 45, 55, 41. He had a handful of 50s, 40s, and a 30. He's been horrible every week except once against San Francisco. Since then, however, 66, 78, Uh, 7, 75, 62, 81. So his lowest in the last five weeks has been a 62, which is, right, it's slightly above average of 60. And three of his last four games have been 70 or higher, 77, 75, and an 81 over the last four weeks. He only has four pressures on the season. Three of them came in the last four weeks. Two of them came this past week. So, I mean, again, a clear difference here for Tyler Lancaster. And if it was a smaller sample size, I would pretty much disregard it. But the drastic difference between weeks one through nine compared to 10 through 15 is it's hard to ignore. And it, it follows very closely what you're seeing like with Preston. So the defensive line, even though it feels like we're not getting the same amount of pressure, they're doing something right. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with these mobile quarterbacks. They're just hard to get down. If the pressure gets there, it, doesn't, it still doesn't really get there. Anyways, the number one defender then, Eric Stokes. So just kind of looking, zooming out again, our third highest grade was a 74. Second highest was Tyler at an 81. And then Eric Stokes at an 88. Almost an elite grade, which is great to see for Eric Stokes. Um, Stokes is, is similarly kind of on a much better track. It's a little bit more up and down. But if you look at weeks one through six, he had two good games. And it was his first two weeks, which you know I was super excited. This guy right out of the gate, he's doing great. Then he had four games where he just wasn't very good, 51-44, 58-56. Since then, though, 75-50, so it's kind of off and on. You get the flickering thing. But 75-49, 76-32. Last three weeks, 70-68, and then 88. So a couple different ways to summarize that. Since week seven, five of his seven games have been good two have been really bad. He's kind of like Royce Newman, right? Basically, every week with the exception of two horrific weeks, he's been very good. And this this being his best week is um, is also pretty exciting because he's, he's clearly getting better as we move along. Um, I don't want to get too much into the comparison because one of the comparisons is Stokes versus Jair. But one of the things I didn't notice when you kind of look at that a little bit more closely, Jair actually started to taper toward the end of the season. So when you look at overall stats and grades and everything, you can kind of compare side by side. But when you kind of zoom into a week to week thing, Jair's success was front loaded, and then it, he kind of his last few weeks were his, were pretty bad. Stokes is is since week seven has been kind of on the ball. Anyways, uh, run defense we had uh, six guys kind of similarly who graded out fairly well. Dean Lowry, uh, Preston Smith both at sixty nine, Rashawn at a seventy, Razul Douglas at a seventy one. TJ Slayton at a 73, and Tyler Lancaster at a 74. Nobody's super dominant, but those are the guys that were uh, fairly good. The guys who were quite bad, we'll call it below a 50, Adrian Amos with a 48, which is a rare thing for him, Um, not great. Darnell Savage with a 43, Kingsley Kiki, 42, Chandon Sullivan with a 29, Chris Barnes with a 29, so no bueno. Um, Tackling still, for the most part, consistently very, very good. Um, nine players out of 13 were 70 or higher. Dean Lowry was at a 67, so basically we'll call that a 70. Yeah, Razul right at about a 60. The only guys who were bad, Chris Barnes and Darnell Savage, 46 and 28. Um, pass rush, guys who graded out fine, Abdullah Anderson, Preston Smith, Tyler Lancaster, and Devondre Campbell. Campbell only had four pass rushes, but whatever. Um, nobody was really bad. Nobody was below a 50. The lowest was Jonathan Garvin with a 53, but, um... He had three pressures on 14 attempts, so statistically, I don't care if it was scheme or what, that's a, that's a good day. And then coverage, the only real bad grade was Darnell Savage. Um, the only other one that was below a 60 was Kevin King, but that was a 57.6, so basically average. The guys who graded out good, Chris Barnes, 76.4, Preston Smith, 77.5, and Eric Stokes with an 89.6. Some of the statistics on on, uh, pressures: we had 25 pressures in this game, which is really high. Remember, Aaron Rodgers was only under pressure six times in this game. 25 pressures we had. One for Chris Barnes out of uh, zero, so that was an impromptu chase the quarterback down, tackling behind the line of scrimmage thing. He didn't actually rush the passer. Tippie Galea had one out of nine, which is acceptable. Devondre Campbell two of four is incredible. Tyler Lancaster, 2 of 13, is a great ratio. Abdullah Anderson, 3 of 15, great. Um, Kingsley Kiki, 3 of 35, is below 10%. It's not super fantastic, but I'll take it. Uh, By the way, Devondre Campbell had the one sack of the day. Um, Jonathan Garvin had 3 of 14, as I said. That's incredible. Preston Smith, 5 of 38, and Rashawn Gary, 5 of 37. The amount of... The pressure percentages for almost this entire team is pretty incredible. I mean, they're doing a great job. They really are. I mean, you're looking for roughly 10%. I mean, for Rashawn, I'm looking for between 3 and 4. He had 5. Preston, I'm looking for, again, 3 to 4. He had 5. Garvin, I'm looking for between 1 and 2. He had 3. Uh, Kingsley, I'm looking for between 3 and 4. He had 3. So, there you go. Abdullah, looking for about 1. He had 3. 1 to 2. Tyler Lancaster, 1 to 2. He had 2. So, everybody, with the exception of Kingsley Kiki, exceeded, and in some cases, far exceeded expectations. I know it stinks that there was only the one sack, but it's still getting pressure on the quarterback is something they're doing quite well. Uh two batted passes in the game, Dean Lowry and Kingsley Kiki. Stops, one for Savage and Gary, two for Preston, Amos, Barnes, Stokes, and Slayton, three for Tyler Lancaster, and four stops for Devondre Campbell and Razul Douglas. Razul Douglas, he's basically like a safety. I don't understand. He, he leads the league and leads the uh the team in tackles all the time. He's got all these stops, which are negative plays for the offense. Guy's just doing everything. Anyways, finally, coverage stats. Um, Eric Stokes was the most targeted. Nine targets, seven receptions, but only 35 yards. He gave up no touchdowns and had a pass breakup, 82.9 passer rating. Darnell Savage, eight targets, six receptions, 96 yards, and two touchdowns, 154.2 passer rating. Obviously a bad day. Razul Douglas, seven targets, five receptions, 29 yards. I'll take that. Adrian Amos, five targets, only two receptions for seven yards and a pass breakup. That's a money day right there. Devondre Campbell, four targets, four receptions, 22 yards. That's acceptable. Chandon Sullivan, two targets, two receptions, 12 yards. I'll take that. Chris Barnes, one reception on one target for three yards. That's basically nothing. Kevin King, one target, one reception for 11 yards. Again, I'm fine with all of that. So, you know, really, you remove Darnell Savage, and I shouldn't say remove, but outside of Darnell Savage, everybody had a pretty good day. But the other way of looking at that is the only reason, you know, Amos had a good day is because they picked on Darnell. And if it was Adrian with that same assignment, he probably would have been the one with the bad grade. So it is what it is. Anyways, why don't we take a break? It's already getting kind of late. So maybe I should have done this earlier, but we'll take a break and we'll kind of look at those couple other things that I had uh, as observations and we'll get up out of here. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you want to support the podcast. Otherwise, we'll be right back. All right, so let's start off with a couple of questions that I had in the PFF group, um, or excuse me, the PFF group, the uh, Facebook group. Apologies for not having people's names, but I don't want to go over to Facebook and find it because I'm short on time. But I had somebody ask for a comparison between uh, Jair Alexander and Kevin King. Before we get there, though, I want to point out something that I put on Twitter yesterday. This is a comparison between Jair's rookie season and Stokes' rookie season. Um, the reason is they played the same amount of games 13 games so it's it's this is the one point where you can compare them the best targets to completions jair 79 targets 51 completions stokes 80 targets 42 completions so almost the exact same amount of targets stokes has been targeted one more time than jair was but he's given up nine less receptions um, jair gave up 662 yards stokes has given up 507 so 100 and 55 yards less, which is significant. Um, Jair gave up two touchdowns. Stokes gave up three, although that's debatable because remember there was that one touchdown that was not his fault. Maybe they removed that. I don't know. It feels right anyways. Roughly the same amount of touchdowns given up. Uh, they both had one interception through this point. Jair had six pass breakups. Uh, Stokes has eight. Passer rating, Jair 94. Passer rating for Stokes, 79.5. PFF grade for Jair was a 72.4. PFF grade for Stokes 65.8. So uh, Jair had a higher PFF grade and gave up less touchdowns. Every other metric though, um, Stokes is actually leading. I did have somebody ask me, you know, what's the point of this? Because obviously they, it 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 really bothers me when people want to argue for really random reasons. This is interesting information and it's context. And you got to understand when I put stuff out there, a lot of times I just like context. If I say, here's what Stokes has done, it's like, okay. If I say, here's what Stokes has done compared to Jair, it's like, Ooh, nice. I'm not saying Stokes is going to be Jair. But it's, I, I think it's, it's proper context, and, and the reason people want to fight is because they don't want to believe Stokes is anywhere comparable to Jair, because they believe that Jair is and always was dominant, and the fact of the matter is he wasn't. This isn't stay, saying Stokes is as good as, as Jair is, or even will become as good as he is, but this is context in the other direction, saying that Jair was no better than Stokes as a rookie. And I know that to be a fact that people think that way, because when I say Jair hasn't, didn't break out until year three, people throw a fit. Every time I post anything like that, people throw an absolute fit. He was always a stud. He was always a star. No, he wasn't. He gave up 662 yards, two touchdowns, had one pick, uh, six pass breakups, 94 pass rating. I mean, he, he was not in any way a star. And I know because Stokes has been better than Jair was as a rookie. And nobody thinks he's a star, so I, I don't. It's it's a weird situation. I think it's because people like Jair and they didn't really like the Stokes pick as much. I don't know, man. But again, it, it's it's nothing to fight about. It is what it is, and you don't have to like create this weird straw man where you put words in my mouth about what you think I'm trying to say, and then start an argument with me about what it is you think I'm trying to say. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go. You can just take it for what it is. I don't know why that's all. Every time I do something like this, it's like, so what's the point? It's the same guy about two different tweets. I just ignore him, but it's the same thing both times. It's like, I don't want to fight with you. I'm not trying to fight. I'm just showing you interesting information. You're supposed to draw your own conclusions. I'm not drawing any conclusions. It's context. That's it. Here's what Jair was. Here's what Stokes is. If you think that means Stokes is going to be Jair, that's your conclusion, not mine. If you just find it as interesting data, if it shows you a little bit more about Jair, a little bit more about Stokes, whatever it does... There you go. Wherever you are, there you is. (laughs) That's it, man. It ain't that deep. People just like to fight about stupid stuff, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting data. And if you don't believe me, look at all the comments, right? If everybody knew this already, they wouldn't be interested in it. It wouldn't have all the likes and the retweets and the quote tweets and the comments. It does because people find it interesting, as did I. You can just find it interesting without... Trying to think to yourself, I bet he's trying to say this, and therefore... I hate to turn it into a social commentary, but this is this is the reason everybody hates everybody. Somebody says the most benign thing, and it's like he said that because he's a horrible, wicked, bigoted, disgusting person. Because what he actually meant is this, and now I hate him, and he should be fired and killed. Like, dude, he didn't say anything. It's not... Like, why do you have to... T- Anyways. any ways. In comparison to King and Jair, and I was trying to think, what are, does he mean rookie? Or, but that wouldn't make any sense. And he doesn't mean this year. So I just did career stats. Um, and they're a little bit different because King was drafted a year earlier, although Jair has actually played more, believe it or not. But uh, we'll just go down the line. And again, you can infer your own stats. Somebody asked this, so they wanted the information for something. I don't know what. They can either take it and run with their notion, or if they're wrong, then they can just leave it alone. Jair has actually played almost 300 more snaps than King, which is, again, King was taken a year earlier, so that's staggering. and really goes to show how injured he's been, but 1,925 snaps compared to 1,659. Jair has been targeted 227 times compared to 244. Receptions 158 to 154. As a percentage, um, 57% of Jair's targets are caught. 63% of King's targets are caught, so Jair leads that a little bit. Um, I also looked at snaps per reception and stuff because the snaps matter, you know, the numbers being higher, you want to know the proportions, right? So how many snaps per reception, Kevin King, 10 snaps per reception, Jair, 12 snaps per reception. That's a number you want to be higher, right? You want receptions less often. So if you, if it's a hundred snaps go by before somebody catches something, that's obviously a good thing. Total yards given up, um, 1,990 yards given up by Jair, 2,306 yards given up by Kevin King, yards per snap, uh, Jair 1.03, Kevin King 1.39, so obviously Jair leads in that as well. Uh, Longest reception given up, Jair was 56 yards, Kevin King 66 yards, touchdowns given up Jair 11, Kevin King 13. They both have seven interceptions, remember King had that one year where he had like five in a year. Past breakups, Kevin King 23, Jair 35. Passer rating for their career, Jair Alexander an 82.3, Kevin King a 99.9. So I think in every category, Jair has been better. To what degree, I don't know. But again, wherever you are, there you is. Um, Finally, and maybe I will leave it at this, and we'll look at the second half thing later because I do want to add some more context to that. Plus, we're getting kind of long here. So again, sorry for teasing and leaving you, but whatever. The other question I had was, how does Stokes compare to the other rookie cornerbacks? Um, And again, this is another one that's kind of complicated to look at because some guys haven't hardly played at all. There's only really, eh, depending on where the cutoff is, six-ish that have played a lot. Three guys have not played hardly at all. So the stats and the grades are all a little bit wonky, but we'll just kind of run through it. I looked at um, Stokes compared to, and this is kind of in order of when they were drafted for the first two rounds. J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan, Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom, Ty- uh, Tyson Campbell, who was uh, at Georgia with Stokes, Richie Grant, who was actually drafted as a safety but apparently is playing corner, Kelvin Joseph, and then Asante Samuel. Those are the, the corners taken in the first two rounds. Um, as far as games played, Eric Stokes has played 13 games. The only guy who's played more is Patrick Sertan at 14. Certain, whatever. Um, after that, Tyson Campbell's played 12, Greg Newsom, 10. Then you got Grant and Samuel 9. The others are all three. Games actually started. Stokes has started 11, uh, Certain 13, Tyson Campbell also 11. Everybody else is significantly less. Looking at PFF grades, Calvin Joseph is actually number one, but he's only played three games. so You can kind of throw that out. He hasn't started a single game. He only has 14 snaps. So we, we're definitely throwing that out. Um, Guys that have actually played a bunch that are graded the highest, actually Tyson Campbell out of Georgia. But again, you kind of want to look at the context. He's had some really bad games. The difference is he has some really, really high grades, whereas Stokes has a lot of like high 60s, low 70s more consistently. Tyson Campbell has a bunch of 50s and 40s really bad games, but then he has like two 90s mixed in, including his most recent. He had a really good game. Uh, Then it's J.C. Horn, but Horn also only played three games. After that is Greg Newsom, 67.7, then Stokes at 65.8, Asante Samuel at 64.1, Patrick Sertain 63.5, Richie Grant 48.4, Caleb Farley's only played three games, but a 45.7, he's off to a real rough start. It's always fun to kind of look at these things too, because anybody that was involved heavily in the draft and really excited about it, you always get this feeling, everybody you're looking at is going to be a star. And then when the rubber meets the road, you look at it and it's just like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, snap counts, Sertain, 774, Stokes, 755. The next highest is 680, so it drops off pretty considerably. So Eric, St- it's weird because we've had this, like, constant revolving door. It feels like he hasn't played that much. Stokes is a full-time corner as much as anybody else. He's the second most snaps of any of these early corners, probably of anybody in the draft, if I had to guess. It might be a random third, fourth, fifth-round guy that's playing a bunch, but probably not. In terms, In terms of targets, Stokes has been targeted the most 80 times. Certain 72 times, and then it's Tyson Campbell, and then it's a massive drop-off. Um, as far as receptions, Tyson Campbell has actually had more receptions given up, so a much higher percentage. 42 of 64, where Stokes is only 40 of 80. So if you look at the actual percentage, um, Stokes actually has the third lowest, and the only other two guys that are lower are guys that haven't played very much. So he has a very low percentage. And his massive amount of pass breakups has something to do with that, but um, only 52.5% of his uh, targets are caught. The only two guys are lower, J.C. Horn, Kelvin Joseph. Again, they've had almost no playing time, but everybody else is higher. Looking at snaps per reception, again, you want it to be relatively high. Uh, J.C. Horn is the highest with 71. Again, he's got some phenomenal stats and everything, but he hasn't really played, so it's you can't tell. Uh, Greg Newsom is at 24 snaps per reception, certain 19.8, basically 20, Stokes 18.8, basically 19. So after that, it obviously goes down. Yards given up, Tyson Campbell 582, Stokes 507, then it drops 465 for Sertain, Asante Samuel 367. In terms of yards per snap, they're basically uh, Stokes' is fourth best. After that is Certain. then Newsom, then Horn. Longest reception given up, not super surprisingly, Stokes is highest on this list at 56 yards. Stokes is, uh, I like Stokes, but when he gives up a play, it's usually like a big-time touchdown, which scares me because that kind of reminds me of Kevin King. He seems fine, and then he just gives up that really big play. Um, Stokes is tied with a couple other guys with the most touchdowns given up. He's given up three, as has Asante Samuel, who, again, has only played nine games. Patrick Sertain uh, has given up three, as has Richie Grant, who also has only played nine games and started zero. Um, in terms of interceptions, Sertain has four. Samuel and Tyson Campbell have two. Stokes and JC Horn have one. Nobody else has one. And then as far as pass breakups, Stokes actually leads all rookies with eight. Campbell and Newsom with seven. Sertain was six. Um, but you pair that with the four interceptions that puts him at 10 compared to Stokes is nine. So I would put him second on overall pass breakup metrics, especially with uh, interceptions being more valuable. Finally, in terms of uh, passer rating, J.C. Horn and Kelvin Joseph are the highest, but you kind of disregard those. Uh, Patrick Sertain at about 65, 64.9. Stokes is next on that list at a 79.5. And, and again, the, the, the great thing about this is everybody looks at it, and you know, we might look at it and go, oh, that stinks there. He's not number one or whatever. He Everybody is saying, for the most part, he shouldn't have even gone in the first round. He maybe shouldn't have even gone in the second round. He was a late second round, early third round prospect. Really? Because J.C. Horn has been injured all year. Calvin Joseph hasn't even been on the field. Caleb Farley has not even really been on the field. And the only guy that you could argue is better than him is Patrick Sertain, who was taken like second and top, top 10 for sure. I don't know exactly, I forget when exactly he was taken. So even if we say he's the third or fourth best, it was a great pick because that's what you would expect. But he's better than guys that got taken in front of him in the first round so far. We don't know how good he's going to be, but... Again, the whole narrative that it was a bad pick because Matt Miller or whoever over at PFF and their draft analysts decided that this wasn't a good pick because of all their groupthink that said Stokes should be a late second or early third round pick. Once again, the Packers proved to be right and the draft community proves to be wrong um, because, go figure, the Packers and their staff are better at this than they are. It's not always going to happen, obviously. I mean, I'm going to get some stuff right that the Packers get wrong especially if I'm being negative about a prospect, because that's that's like a can't miss thing. Most guys do not succeed, which is why a lot of people are negative, by the way, because they are going to be right more often than they're wrong, but it's not impressive. Anyways, uh, we will leave it at that. Tomorrow, we're going to do some laughing at the enemy. We got a little bit of, uh, got some good stuff queued up. We'll probably do a half day of laughing at the enemy, and uh, we'll also look at the, the rest of that PFF stuff. On top of some more news, hopefully it's not all just negative COVID news, but it seems like that's kind of dominating the news cycle because it's obviously massive news. So, um, we gotta, we gotta cover it and and hopefully it's just not bad news, but have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.